0: This talk was given at the North Carolina Zen Center. Our programming is made possible through the support of our members and friends. If you would like to make a donation to the center or become a member, please visit us at www.nczencenter.org. We have found that it can aid one's understanding of a Dharma talk or Teisho if you sit in meditation beforehand, and we encourage you in this practice. Thank you for listening. So we'll begin this morning with a short passage from the recorded sayings of Layman Pong. Layman Pong was sitting in his thatched cottage one day. Difficult, 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 he suddenly exclaimed. Like trying to scatter ten measures of sesame seed all over a tree. Easy, 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 returned Mrs. Pang, just like touching your feet to the ground when you get out of bed. Neither difficult nor easy, said Ling Chao. One are on the hundred grass tips the ancestors meeting. And, and by the way, Ling Chao is... Was, uh, Layman Pong's daughter. So, Layman Pong is perhaps, with the exception of, um, Vimalakirti, the most well-known lay or non-ordained practitioner in the history of Buddhism. And from what we know, um, not only was he and a deeply enlightened practitioner, but so was his wife and his daughter. And so I thought this dialogue was a good entry point to begin to explore the topic of relationships. Last week, as some of you know, I was up in New York State officiating a wedding uh, for a couple that I've known for a really long time. And it was an incredibly beautiful ceremony outdoors overlooking a pond and uh, on one of the Finger Lakes. um, And as I was working on the ceremony, this story, uh, the story of Layman Pong, came to mind about the ebb and flow of relationships. Difficult, easy, neither difficult nor easy. And in reflecting on relationships, my mind turned towards the purpose, especially of marriage. But you can expand that to other relationships as well. In practice and in relationship, we can talk a lot about intimacy, but in historic terms, uh, personal intimacy is, is kind of a new concept in relationships. You know, for much of human history, couples really didn't engage in personal conversations much at all about their internal life. And, um, The strict roles and rules of marriage set forth, you know, not only by the church, but by society at large, meant that individuals didn't develop much in terms of their own personal intimacy. John Wellwood, who's a well known writer and practitioner, writer on spiritual practice, characterized this um, stage in human uh, relationships as a very childlike stage. And it wasn't until the Industrial Revolution that things began to change as individuals had more personal freedom. And it sort of led to an adolescence uh, marked by rebellion uh, culminating in the sexual revolution. It's only now, really, that we're entering a more mature stage in how we view relationships. In our relationship with relationships. We see this in, in many ways. Um, of course, there's the greater acceptance and celebration of non, uh, hetero relationships, for example. More and more men are seeking relationship advice. Um, many couples and individuals are beginning to see through the illusion of the over commercialization of holidays like valentine's day and so this more adult way of being in relationship is characterized by using relationship not simply for external purposes or as a stage to play out our idealistic kind of romantic uh, romantic ideas but rather an opportunity to develop our capacity for awakening and personal growth And again, John Wellwood sees this time, now, as a re-envisioning of the purpose of relationship. In Buddhist terms, you could say that all relationships, not just romantic ones, are opportunities to grow, uh, to work on oneself, but ultimately also to see through self and other, to use the other as a vehicle of practice. You know, every day in the Zendo here, we recite the four Bodhisattva vows. And the first of those vows is to liberate all living beings. Um, most people, when they hear that, rightfully ask, well, how is that possible? Of course, from the perspective of the dualistic mind of self and other, it's, it is an impossible task. But seeing through self and other, we can, in an instant, liberate all beings. And the Buddha, when he had his great awakening, apparently said, I and all beings simultaneously attain the way. Even short of this, uh, we could say um, that this vow means to free those in our life from our own narrow-minded views of them. The, The basic task in Zen practice is to see things as they are, without the filters that we overlay on them, um, things and people, of course this is a huge task given that the human mind is designed to look for patterns and to rely on those patterns to make predictions. But then it doesn't make take much reflection to see how much trouble that can cause. And so in our closest relationships, not only do we do that, but we tend to project all of our fears, all of our hopes, all of our fantasies on the other person. And for the most part, for most people, this is um, the only way they know the world. So, um, as people encounter the Dharma and begin to see how much they do this, it can be, you know, well, it can be shocking to see how much, humbling to see how much we project onto other people. And We, we see that as an actual, as an opportunity to do something different, to begin to relate in a different way. But that can be a clumsy process because as society, as a society, we, we don't have a lot of models of how to encounter relationships in a different or more conscious way. I know I certainly didn't. And I know many of you didn't either. And so what do we turn to? Well, we, in zen we have our practice when we begin you know zen training we're given a practice whether it's a breath practice following or counting the breath perhaps it's a koan Um, and our job is to come to know it as we say to become one with it um and so we say to ourselves, okay, I've got this, no problem, <laughs> and yet how quickly that can fade. And instead what we discover is that what we do in relationships uh, outside of the zendo, between us and other people, we actually tend to recreate in our own practice. For, uh, for example... If we tend to be controlling in relationships, or we lean towards self-blame when things don't go the way we want, or perhaps we give up easily, or if we change partners when things don't go right, well, we'll guess what? We'll do the same thing in our practice. We'll take something that's, in essence, so simple, so direct, like the breath or moo, and we'll begin to complicate it. And so practice, like any relationship, begins to stir all of those unresolved issues. And again, we see this as an opportunity to change those dynamics. We come back to that fundamental instruction for zazen to the return, to return to the thing itself. In other words, not the ideas about it, not our hopes or our wishes, but to what we have in front of us. Not all the stories, all the fabrications, all the ways we complicate it, And we have to do this time after time after time. But as we do, uh, with more practice, we learn to apply this direct way of being, that we are with our breath or with a koan, we learn to apply that in our relationships as well. So the, the Buddha identified five uh what he called five hindrances to making progress on the path of meditation um clinging or desire, aversion or ill will, uh, torpor, restlessness, and finally doubt. Any practitioner uh will face, you know, or has faced these to one degree or another. And anyone who enters a committed relationship will as well. Most people enter a relationship out of desire. And in many ways, this parallels practice. We come to practice with a desire for perhaps for peace of mind or enlightenment or, you know, any of the many reasons um, that people come to meditation but the Buddha said that the one desire that is okay is the desire to awaken. He knew that desire was very much woven into what it means to be human. That without it, um, many, many of us wouldn't even begin practice. Why would we? And yet the more we cling to our desires, the further Our goals will elude us. In other words, continually dreaming or thinking about enlightenment, for example, even on a subtle level can really interfere with the practice itself. And the reason that it's such an impediment is that desire is by its nature based in duality. And so we struggle. And when we, uh, when we do, we can get frustrated. We can become sometimes even angry or resentful, which can lead to the second hindrance of aversion. Um, when the practice doesn't give us what we want. Now think relationship as well. When we don't get what we want or when we don't get, you know, what we want from our partners, we become disappointed and frustrated. How do we work with that? Do we believe that we shouldn't be frustrated or irritated, for example? It may sound contradictory, but frustration actually is a good sign in terms of practice and relationships because it means that we care. But as practitioners, we use that frustration to examine our own expectations and then begin to let go. I always worry when someone says that they're okay, that they're fine, that they don't mind when practice doesn't go the way they want. Why do I worry about that? Well, it smells a bit of frustration. What in psychology they might call repression, uh, pushing down, pushing away. Um, I was thinking, and when I was thinking about this, um, what came up is, um, how sometimes, um, occasionally people will become frustrated in coming to on the one on one interview with a teacher. And, um, uh, that's a good sign because, again, it's a sign of life, and that is what's needed. Uh, the third hindrance is restlessness. There's, of course, there's always a romantic period with Zen practice, as well as with relationships. But what that period always comes uh, down, well, actually, what, it, what happens is it always comes to an end, that romantic period. And when it does, we can lose our patience and become restless or anxious. The fourth hindrance is sloth, or a general lack of energy, torpor. How many of us, after being in a relationship for a while, stop making any kind of effort? In practice, this may be our response after the romantic period wears off. We stop coming to sittings as often, we make give up on Sashin, or coming to see and continuing a relationship with the teacher. And we can find ourselves reverting back to the very things that we swore was driving us to the practice to begin with. More TV, more media, for example. And then this fifth hindrance of doubt... Um, Doubt is difficult to work with, as we see in our larger culture now. How it has led to wild conspiracy and suspicion at every level. In relationships, doubt and mistrust are very very closely linked. In our relationships, we can doubt if our partner is the right one. In practice, we can do the same thing. We can pine after a new practice wondering spend spending time wondering if the practice is right for us spending more time doing that than actually practicing itself we can doubt the teacher are they really the right teacher so what do we do the key to working with any of these afflictions whether it's in our practice or whether it's in relationship is Awareness. Uh, What do we become aware of? Well, first of all, to become aware that all of these mind states are temporary. This is Buddhism 101. As we practice in the Zendo or in relationship, we learn to see all the various mind states for what they are. Temporary, even... Though they may seem like they stick around, they are ultimately impermanent. And we also learn through that process not to identify with them. We also, in relationships and in our practice, begin to recognize our particular patterns, the ways that we distance, for example, from the uncertainty inherent when we encounter the mystery of someone or the mystery of the practice. But in the end, we can't expect to have satisfaction in relationships when we haven't really worked on ourselves. It reminds me of a story of a young man who went to a rabbi and asked, how do I find the right woman for me? And the rabbi paused and then replied It's more important to be the right one than to find the right one. So in Zen to be the right one is means to face ourselves. In order to have a truly intimate relationship, we have to be able to relate to who is truly in front of us rather than our own ideas about that person. In the same way, in order to merge with our practice of the breath, or of our koan, of mu, we should really uh learn to stop relating to it through our ideas. Again, coming back to the beginning today, layman Pong was sitting in his hatched cottage and said, difficult, difficult, difficult. Like trying to scatter ten measures of sesame seed all over a tree. Easy, 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 returned Mrs. Pong, just like touching your feet to the ground when you get out of bed. Neither difficult nor easy, said Ling Chao, on the Hundred Grass Tips the Ancestors Meaning. This practice can be challenging, and yet the more we learn to drop our defenses and flow with circumstances, the less difficult it actually becomes. In the end, both difficult and easy are just concepts. Ling Chao says, on the hundred grass tips, the ancestors' meaning. The hundred grass tips means everything, everything, every relationship is an opportunity to discover this mind of non-separation, of intimacy, and to enter the mystery of relationship.